Hello, and welcome to this special series of podcasts that we call Malsite, discussing food and food cultures in an ever-changing world with rising insecurities and inequalities. For the first time, we will be doing a series in two different languages, so you can look forward to a few episodes in German as well as in English. Join us at the proverbial table as we explore the art, science, politics, aesthetics, commerce, and even philosophy of food around the world. This podcast is brought to you by Brill. As always, I'm your host, Lee Jung Greco. Today we're speaking with Eugene Anderson. He's a retired professor of anthropology at the University of California, Riverside. He's also co-author of Crossroads of Cuisine, The Eurasian Heartland, The Silk Roads, and Food. Eugene, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thanks. So first of all, tell us about some of the themes in this book. Well, the thing that's interesting, of course, is that it really is the crossroads of cuisine. That's the uh, world's great meeting ground of Western and Eastern foods. There's European influences. There's very, very heavy uh, Near Eastern, especially Arabic and Iranian influences. Uh, There's, of course, huge Chinese influences. Then conversely, Central Asia carried all these Western ideas to Eastern Asia, including dumplings and uh, you know, all kinds of dumplings, filled dumplings, solid dough dumplings, uh, bread, the whole idea of baked bread uh, managed to get from Iran to China and Korea. Uh, conversely, uh, a lot of the noodle dishes seem to have gone the other way, and things like Chinese cabbage and garlic chives went from China, and millet went from China to the West. And you have this amazing mixture, and we're to some extent, writing against the stupid idea that cultures are these kind of steel-walled balls, and that you're, if you take anything from another culture, unquote, cultural appropriation. But, you know, cultures don't work that way. They always mix and blend and pick up each other's good ideas. And, you know, fusion cuisines are nothing new. The, the first fusion cuisine probably happened, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago when the first people got together. Um, so here you have a uh, long, long, long history of everybody borrowing everybody else's, everybody else's food ways. Uh, you know, one of the most recent things that was quite interesting is that uh, the Soviet in the Soviet Union days, they brought a bunch of Koreans from extreme East Siberia to Central Asia and stuck them down in what is now Uzbekistan. And uh, Korean food became popular. So now you have you know, in Uzbekistan, it's fairly common to have kimchi and Korean barbecue and things like that. Uh, it sort of shows you, and of course, Korea and return back in the Middle Ages borrowed a great deal from Central Asia. So um, this kind of borrowing and mixing and merging is what we're really talking about and having a you know good time seeing how things travel around and how very fast they can sometimes travel. Things like chili pepper moved with amazing speed into through China and into Central Asia, for instance. So 
What countries does the Eurasian heartland cover exactly? Well, we're looking at Mongolia, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, and uh, the western end part of China, Xinjiang, uh, Inner Mongolia, which is also part of China, uh, and bits of Persia, basically uh, the Khorasan, the old Khorasan province of Iran, and maybe down as far as Sistan. And you write the quote, in the central Eurasian heartland, the most important cultural and political development was the emergence of the Turks. So what did the Turks bring to this region, not just in terms of food, but also technology? And what was its impact? Well, they did not bring that much new to food, but what they did was bring military technology. Initially, they were expert metal workers and they were, you know, got a fairly high level of distinction in the uh, Xiongnu and Shenbei periods, uh, roughly 200 to 400, 500 AD, by being extremely good metal workers and fighters. And then they just became a military people that gradually took over all of Central Asia uh, and still are dominant in several of those countries especially the northern areas. The Mongols, of course, were dominant in the high Middle Ages and occupied Mongolia and still do. And the uh, you know, various Iranian peoples, Iranians and Sotians, uh, dominated the southern parts. But the great kind of central core of Central Asia was taken over by the Turks between about 400 and 1300 A.D., and uh, so they were the political and cultural and social dominators. Uh, one of the things they did was bring a quite liberal interpretation of Islam, the extremely narrow interpretation of Islam that you now see in Afghanistan is quite new and unusual in Central Asia. You know, I'm curious, given what's in the news today, um, what influence did Uyghurs have on the Eurasian heartland's cuisine? And how has that changed now that they're being oppressed by the Chinese government. Originally, the term Uyghur applied to early medieval Turks in that area, and then nobody knows quite who was her. They were just calling themselves Turks. And then the term Uyghur was revived for Central Asian Chinese Turkic peoples uh, a couple of hundred years ago uh, as a self name. So they have a thoroughgoing fusion of Chinese and Central Asian cooking. They've got the it's basically Central Asian with noodle soup and dumplings and bread that's derived directly from Persian naan. It's called naan in Uyghur. And uh, use of tandoor for cooking and shish kebabs and all those usual Iranian and Central Asian things. And then from Chinese, they get soy sauce and noodles and some of the basic noodle dishes and uh, vegetables. Quite a few of the vegetables are Chinese. So that's the, it's a sort of the ultimate fusion cuisine. And, you know, you write that you and your fellow co-authors are not food writers or chefs, but there are some ancient recipes here that are included in this book. Um, were there any that intrigued you or that you think modern cooks could adapt and try today? 
Uh, yeah, all the recipes that we put in the book are actually quite doable now. They're uh, fairly simple, straightforward recipes. Uh, some of them we are from our translation of medieval food books, and others are, most of them are from uh, modern-day cookbooks. A lot of them self-published books by Central Asians or books that we found in Mongolia and places. And uh, we've, to some extent, adapted them according to our experience of the food there. And I have actually done a lot of Central Asian food cooking. Uh, I'm not very good at it. I would never be a chef. I'm, you know, too uncoordinated in the kitchen to be a very good cook. But, you know, I can manage simple Central Asian food okay. So I've tested, you know, a large number of these recipes, uh, something like all of them. I haven't done all of them, but I, if I, the ones I haven't done, I've done related things, and uh, all of them, you know, all the one, all the recipes we include in the book are are uh, basically good and fairly easy to do. That's Eugene Anderson. His book is Crossroads of Cuisine: The Eurasian Heartland, The Silk Roads, and Food. Eugene, thanks again. Thanks. You are listening to the Humanities Matter podcast. You can find more podcast episodes on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast.